Welcome to Between Ourselves, the podcast that centres black women's voices in Europe. My name is Sakai Makoni and I'm the presenter and fellow participant in these conversations. So join us as we dive into today's discussion. This is part two of a wider conversation on black men and black feminism. So if you haven't already, go back and listen to part one before you pick up from here. At the end of part one, we say goodbye to Oz. And so from here on, we don't hear from him. Um, But we pick up the conversation when people are answering the question, if you do, how do you speak to other black men about black feminism and masculinity? Really? Yeah, like, like I think there are, I think within my friendship groups, yeah, mm-hmm. there's people that are just, I can't be bothered, <laughs> and then there's people that, like, we, we know what we're going to say, so, so, like, I don't know how to expect, so, for example, like, within this space, we can talk about it, because we're talking about it from a podcast perspective, mm-hmm. but... I'm assuming because we're all kind of sitting on the same page, mm-hmm. there's no need for us to argue. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we get it. So we kind of like move forward from there. And then like the people that are feel like that within the circle that don't get it. Yeah, like I, I need to work on my, on, um, and this is the part of the toxic part, I need to work on my personal rage. Do you speak with your black male friends about feminism? I don't think I do. If I count the amount of black male friends I have, I have quite a few and far between in terms of black women. Tons. And I'm trying to to work out whether that is part of, if that is not a reflection on the whole masculinity question as well, about heteronormativity and the spaces in which I would, as a black queer man, make black heterosexual friends. Like... Mm. Mm. Which I wish I could make right now. <laughs> um, 
think how those conversations change the minute a woman with her child walks into the barbershop. He does take it somewhere else. It's yeah. really interesting. But I've also been in, in like situations where a mum will bring in her son and leave the son and watch the young boy like tuning into our conversation. I think, why are we having this particularly, what well, I would say quite a negative or difficult conversation in front of a, a young black boy. And I sometimes wonder about the impact of, of those conversations on on people, mm. you know? Um, I think the barbershop is an interesting place because I think the time I see black men at their most vulnerable is actually in, in spaces like that and it sometimes gets so heated and so like passionate um, mm-hmm. in, in a way which in other spaces I don't quite see but it's definitely more a conversation about masculinity I would say than about feminism. So this just makes me think about black male friendship more broadly. I find it interesting that you say that you don't have as many black male friends. And so I wonder, like, as a queer black male, do you find that there is a hesitation or it's a difficulty in forming those types of intimate friendships? I don't know, because of homophobia? Like, what do you think is at play? I think a lot of things. And I think it's a both, it's a double-sided fear. So Mm -hmm. it's fear on my part of assuming that the response is going to be a homophobic response once people find out who you are. And I think it's a fear on the side of a lot of heterosexual black males that a gay black male can only want to be your friend because there's something sexual or erotic mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. There's some kind of motive that you can't just be friends. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And also probably a fear of judgment about what it says as a straight black male to be friends with a gay black male. Mm-hmm. You know, people from outside might assume things about that or say things about that. So I think there's fear in all kinds of places mm-hmm. around that. And also just the the kind of circles that I think you begin to operate in and the ways in which you can be driven further and further apart just by by the nature of how society is built up. In the barbershop, funny enough, is probably the one place where I'm most hesitant to be open about who I am as a sexuality because whilst it is a very open space and people are willing to be vulnerable, I still don't think that lots of barbershops are places where queer people of colour feel comfortable. With your queer black male friends, do you speak about black feminism within those circles? Yeah, I think so, but it is, I would say it's still quite an academic, intellectual kind of conversation. A lot of the black queer men I know are involved in work in which they're having to think intellectually about identity. So it all becomes very kind of cerebral as opposed to from the heart. And I think there is a difference in that. Um, so you might talk about books that we've read or we'll speak about someone like Bill Hooks or someone or Tony Morrison, but it becomes very much a mind thing. And you know, so we don't speak about our mothers, we don't speak about the women that have raised us or their impact on us. We tend to speak more about these big names from whom we're much more removed. And I find that quite interesting. And I think there are problems with that because it, it pushes out all kinds of people from the conversation. And I have a big problem with lots of conversations around justice and equality, which I think use lots of intellectual jargon, kind of seem to defeat the point. And I've had this struggling recently in trying to write a book on black, queer, British identity mm-hmm. as a Christian and having to be really careful about who I'm writing for. Mm-hmm. Am I writing for white people and what I'm talking about? Um, or am I writing for, you know, for a younger version of myself mm-hmm. who didn't have the intellectual language or vocabulary to get into that kind of stuff? So there are lots of things that I think about in that sense. And mm-hmm. when it comes to things like feminism, that word by itself, masculinity by itself, they're already quite loaded. And if you haven't heard of that term, if you haven't had a chance to engage with that kind of language, mm-hmm. and people are trying to bring you into that kind of conversation, actually it can be really difficult. Mm. So yeah. Thank you. Yeah, what? Ooh. I have, I have these 
these conversations. I have these conversations. Um, mm-hmm. I hate to be the one that says it. Like, oh yeah, I had these conversations. Like, I know that both Joel and, and Julian were like, nah, like, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to one-up everyone. But, um... <laughs> I do, yeah. I have these conversations. <laughs> I do, yeah. I am a man that has these conversations. <laughs> um, but, but I think it's funny what, what what you were saying, Joel, um, about like that that conversation being like a highly intellectual one in, in in particular kinds of spaces, right? And it somehow feeling like it can defeat the point when it isn't an embodied conversation. I was as as you were all talking, I was going through my list of friends and thinking about who most recently I've had these these conversations with and mm-hmm. and what they have entailed and what they what they look like. And, and, and actually, the most recent—I'm just thinking about the most recent conversation I had was with a friend of mine who's who's kind of one of the best friends of my ex-partner. We had a really incredible conversation that was about my relationship to my ex-partner and, and the kind of the the situation as it as it is. And the conversation that ensued was a very embodied conversation because mm. it was it was rooted in a very particular situation around our black masculinity so it wasn't this kind of intellectual bigger grander thing but it was very much about like how and in what ways the ways that we have behaved and specifically how how i have been or you know how then my friend charles may have been in in relation to women in the past we are in a constant unlearning process in how we need to engage both with each other as men but then also with the women that we're involved with romantically and otherwise to unlearn so much to listen to find ways to live that larger intellectual politics that we are constantly talking about but how does that you know the, the conversations I think about when it comes to, to, to the black men I have these conversations with are often like okay you have this politics mm-hmm. okay you believe these things but are you are you enacting them in your daily life as as Julian was saying are you opening that space for the women around you to be themselves you know are you are you stepping back when you need to step back in acknowledgement of the privileges that you have and therefore the space that you take up just by being and how are you grappling with that in a very real and material way in your everyday life as 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 you engage with the women in your life and, and those are the kind of conversations i think i've had on multiple occasions with black men in my life because you know we will we will have that banter that it often can slip into some level of misogyny or upholding particular values that we don't believe in right mm-hmm. and, and i think the beauty of having friends who are aware of these conversations is they will check themselves and we will check one another when we mm-hmm. say yeah, yeah but actually hold on like think about what you're saying what does that mean actually in relation to the life that you want to lead and, and to the, the space that you want to create for your daughters or you know mm-hmm. and i don't like that often the conversation about feminism or masculinity is about oh think about how this relates to the women in your life because i don't think it should have to be that it shouldn't mm-hmm. be like oh how how does the way that you act impact the women around you it should be like how do these systems impact all people generally mm-hmm. and specifically and even more acutely with them but, but I do think it's a really valid starting point to, to be aware of the ways that 
the things that we do as men impact people around us, impact the women in our lives and have rippling out effects, you know, not only on those women, but also on the other men that we engage with. So those are the conversations. But I, I haven't often had combative conversations and that's because I don't like myself into spaces with people who aren't already willing to engage. And, and I think that's a problem. You know, I think it's a problem in the same way that specifically in this moment and with what happened uh, recently with, with George Floyd and our, um, that we're looking at white people and saying, you need to go and talk to other white people mm-hmm. about this shit. You need to go and have these conversations in your communities and really like have those different conversations. I recognize that like as somebody who has this analysis, it's not enough for me to only speak to the Julians and the Jarrells and the Aussies because that's not going to change shit. We're already there. You know, mm-hmm. we're already we're already willing to engage on that level. And as much as we are part of the problem in micro ways and we need to address those things that pop up, we also have a duty, I think, to be in community with people who don't think like us in the same way that white people have a duty if they have an analysis to be in community with people that don't think like them mm-hmm. because that's the only way that, that we're going to affect any meaningful change. But I think, you know, similar to what Julian was saying, I think I I need to take it upon myself to inhabit spaces that I'm not comfortable in around mm-hmm. black men who who are not there yet um, mm-hmm. or who aren't willing to go there yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a kind of like, I guess, a note to self. If there have ever been moments where a black male friend has said, like, oof, that's a bit problematic, like, how did that feel to be, like, called out or called in or to recognise certain behaviour in yourself? And then how did you process that and presumably change? Mm, um, I think, for me, I'm, I'm always thankful for it. I'm thankful for it on the one hand, you know, like... Because, because, like I said, I, I have a politics that is always putting the idea of other people's oppression at the forefront of my analysis of the world. And so if I'm enacting those same oppressions in how I dialogue with people, I won't be called out. But, but I would be lying if, if I don't also feel affronted in those moments and if I don't like feel the need to, like, oh, oh I didn't mean that, or, oh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just joking, or I didn't, you know, kind of like to try to to create a space where people don't think that the thing I've said actually is what I believe, mm-hmm. which I think is also problematic because, you know, what you need to do is listen, accept, digest, and not feel the need to show to those people immediately that, like, oh, that's not who you are. You need to address the ways maybe in which it is who you are mm-hmm. and then make, like, a more sustained change in how you govern your life. And so so I think, yeah, so I think, in, in the one hand, I feel thankful for those for those being called in or being called out mm-hmm. um but i also am aware of like that the direct response to that often cannot be as full of the necessary compassion or listening that it takes to to affect the change from that place that you may have been in when you said that thing or when you did that thing you know my next question to everyone is Do you think there are ways in which black men and black women miss each other? And by that, I mean, maybe speak across each other. And if so, do you think there are ways that we could be more in alignment? It's a big question. I think on one part, just just what 
said at the end there um, about like owning up to things mm. um, when you're called out. I think like I am, yeah, I'm still in the process of unlearning. Like I'm still developing, just like you said. And I think I only got here because someone called me out. Because someone gave me a book to read or sent me a link, challenged something, you know. And if it wasn't for that, I don't think I'd be here. So I think, yeah, there's something to be said about yeah, living in a, in a space where you're, you're receptive to, you know, not being right and being okay with that. Do you know what it is? Yeah, I think I'm saying this with exact because I had a really heart-to-heart conversation with my dad recently. And it has a lot to do with what Jarrell was saying about this idea to be nurtured by a black male. And I think we miss that in our relationship between me and him. Mm. But I think it's because he didn't receive that. I'm, I'm saying that to say, so the idea of like now me engaging with women outside of the context of like family or being a man and like trying to figure out that sort of nurture towards the other person, like keeping quiet and listening to the other, it wasn't there. Because the women that, you know, raised me, they were very assertive. So the idea of being male and being nurturing to, towards others is, is really difficult. And it's something that I'm still, you know, growing, I'm still learning right now. Often when I do see it, it plays out within my own life, what I see within my friends' life. So going back to what um, Ron was saying, sorry, um, about like having conversation with friends, I do have the odd times where I'm having conversation on, on relationships or just on things with friends and like, you know, we'll be talking about certain things. I think there are things in culture that hold us, stop us from like dealing with certain things, like certain trauma that I know some of my black male friends have gone through. When it then comes to them sort of nurturing and dealing with issues that they have or nurturing the black women around them or just thinking about it from like an institutional standpoint, mm-hmm. they, they don't have the language or the tools. They haven't even seen it to even begin to unpack it, does that make sense? So I just feel like that, yeah, that conversation and like someone pulling me to the side or telling me has been helpful to that. And I, and I think I see that in culture and this, I don't know if I'm getting the question right, but it's like, like do, do we give space to women in our relationship? I think I see that. And also, I think we're only as strong, like, you know, like they're saying that we're only as strong as the weakest link. So like, if we see ourselves like within the black community, you know, all bodies included, but then there's like a group of us that are weak, that are not as strong as us. And I, when I'm saying us, I'm not saying like male or female, I'm saying like the whole black community as a whole. If there are any weaker links, people that are being oppressed within the unstructured, we are as only as strong as them. So I think we need to be aware on how we engage and we need to think how we can be in alignment with them, you know, like with the others around us and to participate, like helping, supporting them, like supporting them to participate in making decisions that mm-hmm. have to do with their lives and also how we act. Jarrell, what do you think? Well, I, th- I think there are definitely ways in which 
black men and black women miss each other 100% um, and speak across each other. I'm just thinking about like how that happens and why it happens. I guess in one sense, it's a problem that we we have so many of the conversations that we should have together apart, I think. Mm. And I think I sometimes sit in the barbershop to go back to that again, <laughs> thinking if only we could be having this conversation with some of the black women that are in our lives, right? Like if only this could be a dialogue beyond us. Mm. I think that could be a really powerful thing because the vulnerability that I see black men show in those spaces, I sometimes wish could be shared. Because like, often they're very beautiful moments. I just think they happen in private so often. Another thing as well, in terms of things like grief, I often find my experience of my Jamaican culture has been that the men and women grieve very often separately. And we have this whole like nine nights thing and, and nine nights before the funeral families often get together and have like nine nights of basically just drinking, sharing stories and chilling out together. But the men and women often are very separate. And I think there's something there about grief, vulnerability and just the kind of heart stuff where really we, we want to journey in the same direction, I think. Mm-hmm. But we have the conversation in separate. And so when it comes to us speaking to each other, of course we miss each other because we haven't done enough of the work alongside each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so we sometimes don't really realise that we're often saying the same kind of thing and we want the same kind of end but we just just sometimes passion gets in the way as well and actually you know we just yeah confuse what mm-hmm. i think is a very important conversation along similar lines mm-hmm. i um i think that julian and Gerald summed that up pretty beautifully i mean i think yeah yeah and, and what you were just saying there Gerald really I think gets to the core of, of a lot of the issues is that, that the important and necessary conversations and vulnerabilities are not shared in in tandem, you know, they're shared in, in, in separate spaces. And that that is that's a failure on the part of those of us who are like trying to push forward a new vision. We really have to think about, you know, and, and I think that's even in progressive or activist spaces a lot of times a lot of times we still we still create spaces in which black men talk or black women talk because because we're aware of the importance of giving space to particular people to have their voices heard mm-hmm. um, and not feel quietened by others maybe who have historically had more power than them or on the flip side of that black men creating spaces who for black men to talk so that they don't feel like they have to hide behind ideas of masculinity in front of women, right? That ultimately doesn't create the kind of necessary mutual ground for us to, to push forward together. And so, yeah, I would second that. I was thinking also, I think going to that point of vulnerability, I think we are still all unlearning very toxic ways of being in relation to one another. That is true for men and women. And I think we have learned what it looks like to be man in front of woman and what it looks like to be woman in front of man. Like that's entrenched in us, right? And so I think we miss each other because as much as we might want to be differently, we are still learning what it means to be our full selves in front of people that we are supposed to, and I say supposed to based on the kind of ways in which structures have been built up. We are supposed to be particular things in front of, Mm -hmm. we are supposed to behave ways in front of, and I think both men and women uphold those ways of being subconsciously, and in so doing, do 
don't allow for the full spectrum of vulnerability from both parties. You know, I mean, when when we talk about the necessity of, of tearing down these structures, it's like all of these levels, so these emotional levels as well as like larger structural and political levels. But like, we have to understand that like women have to understand that men don't cry in front of women or in front of men because they feel like they have to not cry in front of women in order to show their strength mm-hmm. at the same way that women behave in particular ways in relationship to men because they feel you know like that whole thing of like men being providers etc etc like even for women who are really challenging that it's still there you know mm-hmm. like those things are still there they, they, they still form the foundations of the language that we have around these issues and so like I think we miss each other because we're having the bigger conversations but we're also not grappling with like the emotional build up conversations that kind of or not that we're not grappling with them but we have to be consciously aware of them at Mm -hmm. the same time Mm. as we try to the future that looks different you know yeah Yeah. the final question dun 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 (laughs) do you consider yourself a black feminist ally or co-conspirator, Julian? Oh, wow. If so, or even if not, how would you recommend any men listening to do the same? So, are you a black feminist ally, in your opinion? And how would you recommend black men to be more of an ally or co-conspirator if they're listening? I think I would love to say yes. Um, But I think those questions you have to ask... Um, how you engage you know when someone say do you care about me mm. and then like I could say yes but then like it's for the person to say if I do based on my actions if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, so I believe I believe I am mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm trying mm-hmm. um, and I don't think I always get it right because mm-hmm. I operate within a structure that I am trying to unlearn so I think Yes, and I think the first thing is for people that are listening, not that I'm saying this is like, you know, because but this is just how I look at it, is that the first thing is to be aware of your privilege and then be aware that there are structures in place for you to sort of step over people and step on top of people. And there's structures in place that put people down and keep people there. And like, as, as in open being aware of that, then I guess that's the lens through which you start seeing things be like, right, okay, cool, where am I stepping, who am I stepping on, who am I making space for, who am I keeping quiet for, mm-hmm. who am I listening to, what am I learning? Mm-hmm. So I think those are the questions you start, um, start coming up when you're aware that, you know, there, there are structures in place like this. And I think also, you know, building each other up into, like, encouraging, like, you know, women... Or like if you're in a space where people say silly stuff, like encourage them to think more about it, like in in a way that there's a bit more nuanced than just like uh, whatever everyone else is thinking or whatever society would be thinking. And I think also like often people don't think there's a need for radical change and i think that whenever you like you're in a space and you don't think there's a need for radical change you need to question why you think like that um, mm. because i think these things have been in place for years and they've been in place to keep certain things certain ways mm. so whenever i'm like in a place where i'm just like i feel fully comfortable like when i mean fully 
only comfortable about thinking about the other. Like, I need to question, is there any radical change in this place based on my comfort and also, yeah, just the things that are around. So, yeah, I think those are the things. Because, like, you encounter these things really differently depending on who you are, where you live, and, you know, and all of that stuff. But I think being aware of the structures and the things in place and being aware of your own actions is a starting point. Who'd like to go next? I was just thinking, I would probably say no. And the only reason I would say no is because... I hear so many people call themselves allies of like either in in an anti-racist work, they're allies of black folk or they're allies of the LGBTQ community or they're allies of whatever. And I just feel like it's such an easy thing to call yourself an ally, to make yourself feel better about the fact that you're part of the solution. And I, I just think the level of commitment and work and labor that it really takes to prove that you're an ally I almost don't feel worthy of calling myself that. I think there's so much more that I could do mm-hmm. to really be an ally. And I'm also aware of the fact that, you know, I'm a man in a very, very patriarchal um, institution. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think you can get more patriarchal than the church. And for me, I'm, I'm, I'm just not doing enough, I don't think, within that structure and within that institution to, to really call myself a black feminist ally or even a feminist ally at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it, I think, if I'm honest, I, I sometimes struggle to find the strength in terms of the fight. Like, there's so many different fronts to kind of be at war with at times, mm-hmm. um, and so many battles to try and engage with. Um, and I think it's an emotional, spiritual, but also intellectual task. I just say, for me, there's a kind of thing of, yeah, I could call myself one, and to a certain degree that would be true, but I think it's too easy. I'm, I'm working as much as I can with the means that I have to hopefully one day own that title and, and to really call myself an ally. And I think any other men you, who want to get involved, for me there's a big thing if you're an ally about what you say when the people who are, are being oppressed or being um, persecuted are not in the room. Mm-hmm. So what do, I, what do I say about women when there are no women in the room? Mm-hmm. That for me is the test of, of a true ally. Like when no one is watching to pat you on the back and say good job, you know, what are you saying then and when are you silent? Because mm. I think that's what's really important for me. With what's happened in the States recently, I've had so many friends of mine who are white, you know, in my DMs, in my inbox about how bad it is, what's happening in Minneapolis and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, well, yeah, but why are you talking to me about that? I don't need you to talk to me about that. I know it's bad. I know it's a problem. But how many white people's inboxes are you in? Mm-hmm. Because that's where I need the conversation to happen. Yeah. And all the things that you're observing on social media and you'll be tweeting is wonderful, but who is that really for? people like me so that I know that you're an ally and therefore I can like it and love it and say good job but I'm not really interested in that I'm interested in you know when you're in an appointments panel what do you say then mm. when you have two candidates but one happens to be a white man and one happens to be a black woman what do you say at that point mm-hmm. that for me is a test of allyship and so I, I I'm not going to say that I am a black feminist ally because I think yeah I have work to do a lot mm. of work to do mm-hmm. on that front an aspiring one maybe And Rohan? Before I say anything about myself, I just want to say to Jarrell's point, I just thought you were speaking some truths there. Yeah, on multiple levels, like just I was I was in an iron. I suppose what I would say is I'm a black feminist, you know? Mm. Like, no, I, I think to, to say I'm a black feminist ally is maybe to get to get am I an ally to black women? I try to get 
detriment to someone less fortunate than yourself and, and, and think about whether or not it's something that you need to take advantage of. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you're not willing to walk away from the things that, that give you comfort and give you um, that, that give you better stance and stances in life, then you are certainly not an ally. You're certainly not doing anything to tear down the structures that, that have been built up over so, mm-hmm. so long a period of time. Oh, Rohan, you are preaching there. That was good. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, all of you. Like, I was a bit nervous about this recording, but it's been really, really fascinating, really insightful, and, and quite moving as well, hearing all of your stories and perspectives. And so I really appreciate you being up for it and contributing and sharing your views. Thank you for making it happen. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No problem. Yeah, thank you. It's been, um, it's been incredible to, to talk to talk with everyone today. Really? Yeah, and I want to say I've learned a lot as well. Oh, right. um, so yeah, bless up. You should all hang out virtually more often and continue these conversations. <laughs> Brilliant.